Welcome into this special preview of Mad About Movies VIP feed. If you want more episodes like this, throwing it back to your favorite films of all time, hit that VIP feed at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. For only a dollar a week, you get special bonus content, cool interactions with us, and much, much more. madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. Enjoy the episode. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. All right, welcome in to Spielberg Talk once again on the Mad About Movies podcast. This time... Not familiar. This time uh, the throwback version of Spielberg Talk. Oh, okay. Oh, now I got it. Yeah, the hook guy, Brian. Ah. We're going to get to more Spielberg Talk later in a few weeks, actually, when we talk his newest Mm. film, The Post. But uh, never is a bad time for Spielberg Talk here on the show, as we have come to learn over the last few years we always enjoy <laughs> our spielberg conversations and it ends up being more broad about how much we love the guy and all his other movies rather than his specific movies but this is a specific conversation tonight covering the 15th anniversary of 2002's catch me if you can it was 2017 was its 15th anniversary uh so just a little bit a couple weeks ago just a, just a yeah. just a smidgen ago uh it was its 15 year anniversary hard to believe because uh, this is one that I still feel is New Age Spielberg, and it's hard to believe that uh, we're now celebrating 15 years and talking this conversation. But it's long overdue. It's one that we always talk about on the show. We've mentioned it several times and in passing. We can recommend best of all time type episodes and things like that. So long overdue, but here we are nonetheless. So welcome in to this throwback conversation on Catch Me If You Can. And... Let's preface this by just giving our experience of the movie. Did you see it when, in its original run? When did you kind of come about it? And uh, we'll throw it to Richard Barton to get us started tonight. Go ahead. Yeah, I uh, this was one I remember kind of wanting to go see, but wasn't super. This is uh, totally true, by the way. I think I was a sophomore. For now, I was a freshman in high school. And uh, this came out, and I was like, eh, we'll go see it. My mom wanted to see it. Her and I went to see it. And I'm not kidding. Uh, I walked out of theater was like, that's my favorite movie of all time. And it stayed my favorite movie of all time for a long time uh, and still is really high on my list. I love it. Um, but it was like, I don't know. I just was totally mesmerized by it. I just love the story so much. And Leo was so great. And Tom Hanks sans accent was great. And, uh, and uh, walk in and everything was just perfect about it. I just loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I probably saw this six or seven times in theaters, which is wow. Weird God. Me, yeah. Yeah, it's no amazing. Yeah, Prove I saw it. this. I saw this. I remember then I saw it the first time. Then we took my stepdad about a day or two later. Then I saw it with some friends, maybe five times. I definitely saw this at least five times in theaters, though, which is probably the only movie ever that's like that. I've probably seen this movie 40 times total, though. I mean, it's up. It's I've seen this movie a ton. So I watch it every Christmas. I this is my, I don't like Christmas movies, really. I kind of realized this this year. I kept saying, I like Christmas movies. I just hate vacation and Christmas story. And I would just list off like 30 of them. And people would be like, I don't think you do. And it's like, well, I like, I like Home Alone. And I like Catch Me If You Can. And I like Love Actually. And they're like, that's three. Um, and one of them's not even really not a Christmas, a Christmas movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. But to me, it is because there's snow. Um, at the end, it is. Yeah. Yeah. He goes and looks at the tree touches the girl's hand through the window and stuff. So that's Christmas enough for me. That's what I do on Christmas Eve. And uh, so 
<laughs> so uh <laughs> Dallas police is well aware. Yeah. <laughs> so no, this is this is epic. But uh uh one one of my faves ever and I'm uh, pumped to talk about it with you guys. Brian, what was your experience with it? So I did not see this in theaters. Um this was this would have been like my sophomore year in college, I think. But uh my dad loved this uh loved this book and so i'm i think i read this book when i was like in i don't know high school or something and it's one that my dad probably has read um a dozen times or something so i was i was very aware of who uh frank abagnale jr was and um i i don't know i i wasn't super interested in the movie uh that's you know that age is a weird that, to me, this just like was a movie that my dad would be into, not me necessarily. Um, so I think I probably saw it first time on DVD, mostly just to I, I would I would guess just to you know to be nice to my dad, to, be, to humor my dad. And then uh, a couple years went by, and it was on you know TNT or something, and I watched it, and I was like, man, this is a solid movie. It's better than I remembered it. And a couple years later, probably again on TNT, and. It still to this day that is the same experience that I that I have with this movie. When we did our top ten list, which was for our hundredth episode, which now we're like creeping in on four hundred, so it's it was a long time ago. So that was I think twenty fourteen when we did that list. Um, Catch me if you can was probably like my I don't know thirtieth favorite movie, let's say, or something like that, fiftieth maybe. And, uh, and it like every time I watch it and it may be partly that as I get older, I, I can, maybe I relate to the characters a little bit more or see, cause this is kind of a, this is like a, an adult movie, right? Like it's, it's very, um, it's not a blockbuster. Even for Spielberg, it's a right sort of a, a more adult themed. It's like a film. it's like it's like a Muppet caper, but with like routing <laughs> numbers instead of like uh, anything like yeah, you know. It's, it's got the it's, it's definitely a lighthearted tone, and yeah, but the subject right. matter is serious. You're right, right, and and so it's it's an interesting experience. But like the older I get, and the more times I see it, and I've I've probably seen the movie. 20 times now or something. I, I, I love it more and more and more to the point that now it would be, if we did our top 10 list today, this would definitely be a, uh, this would be a real contender for, yeah. for one of those. Was it spots. in mine? I don't remember. Yeah, it was. It, it was Richard. I feel like it was. Okay. Yeah. It was like number nine on your list. I remember. Yeah. 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 I was um, say, yeah, man. A mistake. If it, yeah, right. If it yeah. But no, I, I just think I get, I love it more and more every, every time I watch it. And I watched it today, part of it last night and then the rest today and uh i just gosh i i think um i'm gonna do some i haven't figured out exactly what it's gonna be yet but leading up to ready player one i want to do some kind of thing on the blog ranking the movie his spielberg's movies or um something i don't know i haven't completely figured it out but i just i'm gonna have a well hey it's spielberg so it's like there's so many movies to choose from that are all great but for me at least and but this one's it's like gonna be really hard to keep this out of the top two or three. It's just so it's so good and it's master class in, in directing, I feel like. And um, you know, I don't give a crap about the uh the Boston accent. Like that nobody is more concerned about accent than than Bostonians, but or Northeasterners, but um I think it's just so awesome this time around having seen this a dozen plus times can just focus on one or two things and just really 
uh, lock in on the interactions between DiCaprio and Walken and then DiCaprio and Hanks. And it's just like, gosh, this is as good as it gets to me as far as just acting goes and, and acting in movies that are enjoyable to watch too. And I think that's a skill that, um, sometimes even DiCaprio himself has kind of lost at times. Like the Revenant, he's, he's an incredible, that's an incredible performance. That is not an enjoyable movie at all. And, and even his performance is not really enjoyable. It's just quality. Right. And like, this is the opposite of that. It's just, it's not particularly showy, but Uh it might be, it's certainly my favorite performance of his and it might be his best. And, and then you add in Hank's just, um, you know, being Hanks and having fun and, and walking. So anyway, I, I've gone on forever, but I love, I love this movie and it's, um, it's, I, I just feel like it's perpetually going to get better and I'm going to be excited. This is a weird one that I'm excited to, um, to show Coop and like get him hopefully yeah. to enjoy it. And that, and it, you know, mo- mostly those movies are like Jurassic Park and Star Wars and stuff like that. And then there's this and it's, it's kind of an outlier, but I love it so much. And it's timeless too, because it was, yes. I love period pieces because they don't age, you know, they they come out aged. And so, uh, they, it, it you want, I was watching it the other day too. And you're like, this could be last year, you know, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't look dated at all. Um, and this movie was weird trivia about it. The thing I love about it, I'm always interested in things like this. They shot this movie in like 30 days, 28 days, something like that. They shot it super mm-hmm. fast. They did the same thing with the post. I always think that's, this is my favorite Spielberg movie. And I always think that's when he's at his best is like, um, just shoots the movie, you know, and doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, obviously you can't do that with Jurassic Park. I, I get right. that, but just me personally, and, and I love Jurassic Park and I love big Spielberg movies too, but I just think it shows really his versatility and kind of strengths as a filmmaker, especially when it comes to character and directing actors, which I think mm-hmm. is underrated at, um, when, uh, when he can do, when he does something like this. Yeah. I, I comparing his filmography, I mean, this is, among, I, I wouldn't say it's his most underrated movie, but I would say it's probably his most underappreciated movie. Mm. Uh, I think, I, I'm trying to think back in my mind, this might be, in terms of pure entertainment value, this might be the most entertaining Spielberg movie. I mean, I just, every time I watch this, it's like every single scene, it, it, it just flows so well. I mean, you can't say enough about Spielberg in terms of knowing how to pick a story and one and one that he knows he can make. I remember him telling a story about when he first got this screenplay or uh, came across it or got the final draft or whatever, he had him and his wife and like seven of her friends do a table read like at their house. Mm. And he just sat there and listened to them. And he said, by the time they finished the table read, I was convinced I'm going to make this movie. And he was super jazzed about it. But it's just such a perfect Spielberg movie. It it captures, you know, the American dream, the the Spielberg trope of there's always an issue with the dad and everything. Mm-hmm. There's it's it's maybe the most played up here of any of his movies. Uh I personally think that Minority Report is probably the most underrated Spielberg movie. It's one that I think is yeah, almost a flawless awesome. movie that no one ever mentions when they mention Spielberg mm-hmm. for some reason. I love Minority sure. Report came out around this time. It's just a weird dark time where nobody was paying attention to what he was doing, I guess. But, uh, man, I love Leo in this movie and that character of Frank Abagnale, he just has to have that right quality, right? That quality of he's going to charm you through convincing you of anything. And I've always liked the notion, uh, 
of, you know, the George Costanza notion of if you act like you belong, you do, you know, it's not a lie if you believe it. Right. Uh, just Frank Abagnale's adventures is fascinating. Him just putting on a uniform and acting like he's a security guard or acting like he's a pilot and all the different things that they go through with in the movie. They didn't do the security guard part in the movie. That's actually like a side story that he, he dressed up as a bank teller security guard or something at one point in his life. There's just weird things like that that he's just honestly just exploiting loopholes in the system and working his way up through people's habits. Like, like they will think you're a security guard. If you're standing, you know, you walk into a bank, you see a security guard. What's who are you to think that that's not the real security guard, right? He's standing there and he's got the uniform on, right? That's all. That's the only requirement in my eyes, you know, for a TSA <laughs> agent or anybody. I don't know any of that stuff. So I love the kind of living the American dream through breaking the law. <laughs> if that's kind of a, away and i i never knew about the routing numbers and forging the checks and all the technology that goes into the checks and that that could be a whole movie Mm -hmm. in and of itself but that's just kind of the one thing that gets them started and or gets frank started in this business of of ripping people off and and exploiting the government and and uh working his way up without actually doing it but i just i just think this is so entertaining and and it's not only the story but it because you know like you said, Brian, it's everything that goes along with it, right? It's the mm-hmm. way it's shot. I think this is one of the most well-shot Spielberg movies in terms of him moving the camera, like following the characters with the camera and the overhead shots and everything, every kind of cinematic technique that he utilizes here. Uh, I think the sequence of DiCaprio sitting in the car at the airport and he thinks somebody's on to him and all that. I think that's one of the most brilliant scenes mm-hmm. in terms of construction of nobody's talking and the camera's just showing you things and it's telling the story just for that. I, I think that is just textbook Spielberg right there. And sure it is, it's this movie is chock full of stuff like that. Just him just having fun making a movie. You can tell he was really enjoying himself here. And I'm just, I'm just confused as why this didn't get more praise in the time. I mean, not even in O2 yeah. are they like, this is the best movie of the year. Like, this might be his Spielberg's best movie and Spielberg might be the best director ever. Like, that's the argument that we're making. Why wasn't this, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years later, people are appreciating it. Why was it not appreciated at the time? I don't, I'm confused. Yeah, it's super frustrating when you look at, one of the things I always do when we're doing a throwback is I, you know, I, I go through their IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and Box Office Mojo and look at trivia and the awards and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, two thousand. This this whole era was such a such a weird year for film. Like two thousand to two thousand four. There's there's plenty of like bright spots, but there's a lot of of garbage, and we just didn't. I don't know. It's just a. It wasn't a good year. It wasn't a good time for culture, just pop culture. Yeah, I mean, it was just a brutal. Music was not so great then, and it just seemed like almost nothing from this time period resonates. And the Oscars especially, I think, were were really mired in this weird spot where, um, you know, we kind of came through an era where almost every movie that would be nominated for Best Picture and for the big roles and stuff was something that 95% of America had not seen. Um, and then this, they were slowly transitioning kind of out of that a little bit. So 2003, the, uh, the Oscars, period. yeah, that kind of stuff. But, but you still oh, had... Man so much of this stuff that would get these big award nominations that literally no one thought about within three months, like forget 10 years or or 15 years or whatever. Like 
Has anyone thought about The Quiet American since 2003? No, no one has. Maybe Michael Caine doesn't even remember that he did that movie, <laughs> and he got nam- nominated for a freaking Best Actor. Like, it's nothing against that movie. It's fine. I vaguely remember watching it. I could not tell you what it was about. I just, like, every movie like that. There's a, a hundred movies like that a year during that era, and they all just sort of blend together as, like, yeah. I guess it was fine, like that kind of thing. Yeah, best picture that year was Chicago, which just killed me. I but I get people. Some people like that, but good gracious, I hate that movie. The Hours, which no one remembers. The Pianist, which we should all take back. All the awards that went to that, uh, and Why? then Gangs of New York, and <laughs> well, you know, uh, Gangs of New York, and and the uh, the Two Towers. So it's like you had the the um, the sort of culturally relevant movies. It's like they had. We've got two spots. Uh, to give to movies that actually made money this year, and uh, and then that's it. We can't we can't add anything else in. Like ugh, the hours and the penis, both of those just are so. Ugh. Um, and then for you know for leading actor, Adrian Brody won for the pianist, and Michael Caine was nominated for the Quiet American. Nicholas Cage got his mm-hmm. nomination yeah. that year, and Jack Nicholson and Johnny. So it's like it, there's I get it. Like there's um there's spots here that's like yeah I would not take away the nomination of Daniel Day Lewis. But even at the time, I felt like I vaguely remember that it was a big deal that Catch Me If You Can. It was a surprise, and it didn't get much for Golden Globes either. And that seems even stranger in hindsight, given that they they probably could have run this as a comedy if they wanted to. It's just it's a strange. I just I don't understand this time period. And I feel like I I say that every time we talk about a movie from like 2002 or 2004 or something. It's like, what are we doing here? This just doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even the score, I mean, John Williams' score in this just accents this movie so well in such a quirky way, (laughs) and it's definitely not anything like you've heard him do, John Williams, but Mm -hmm. leave it to him to put something in your brain that you'll never get out. It's got one of the best opening title sequences of all time as well. Yeah. Um, The scene where DiCaprio slash Frank goes through the airport with Sinatra's Come Fly With Me playing over it is also awesome um him actually getting caught is great uh the hand ratty scene where he goes up and he he gives him the wallet and goes back down and it's full of coupons and all that such a great scene too um kyle hand ratty hand ratty <laughs> that's all i can think kyle hand ratty maybe if they didn't have that one thing of him just screaming his name into the phone uh we wouldn't have noticed <laughs> the boss said, kyle hand ratty uh, I like and I like not Abagnale, not Abagnale, Abagnale when he's teaching. I the love class. that moment when he when <laughs> yeah. he walks in and makes that Gosh. choice in his brain where he's going to be the teacher, and that it all flips the switch in his brain from then on. <laughs> and I I like that it too, but I also love the fact that he gets in trouble and his dad thinks it's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, my son is the is the coolest. Walking walk <laughs> is so good. It was I mean walking has kind of fluctuates between being a great American actor and a parody of a great American actor. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's so mesmerizingly good in this. And mm-hmm. like, sometimes like, you know, those type of actors, when you're next to a Leo or a, or a Tom Hanks kind of thing, you can wilt a little bit. He raised his game tenfold. It was so, 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 so great and sympathetic and, and you're mad at him and heartbroken for him and by him. And that character is complex. And you really, when, when you find out spoiler alert that he's passed, you're heartbroken along mm-hmm. with Frank, yeah. you know, it's really sad. Yeah. Another scene. I kind of mentioned it earlier. 
where Frank is making the checks in his hotel room and has all the Pan Am planes and he's peeling the stickers off the planes and putting them on as the logos of the check. I, I always just the attention to detail of this movie, the things that they chose to show and how they chose to show them, like him just laying the checks out one by one in the hotel room and, and the mm-hmm. kind of order to it all and the way that they were shot. I just loved Spielberg's interpretation of the story into making it cinematic. I just think that it was the perfect yeah. blend of subject matter, obscure enough subject matter to where no one's get offended if you take liberties cinematically. Right. But yes. uh, just enough historical value to make it legitimize in American society. I think this movie is the perfect example of that. And uh, I mean, I want to see Catch Me If You Can too. I'm not even kidding about more <laughs> Frank Abagnale stuff and maybe stuff later in his life while, while DiCaprio is old. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I think I think it was just, it was, I want to see Spielberg do more stuff like this, honestly, more easy stuff, stuff that doesn't take him ready player one amount of time to make. Uh, I think he I think does that with the post. That. And I don't, yeah. yeah, I think Lincoln and, and stuff like, I mean, there's, there's stuff that he does certainly not, doesn't take all of his time, but I mean, he could make three of these a year if he wanted to, you know, I'm sure there's enough stuff that interests him that he could do that. But um, I prefer, I don't know if I prefer blockbustery Spielberg or, Toned down uh, the color purple Spielberg. I don't know. I don't know what I what I prefer, but I like both of them. That's mm. for sure. Yeah, can't go wrong either way for me. I also, as long as it's not War Horse Spielberg, that's the only part yeah. that I don't like. Also, when uh, Tom Hanks's slash Hanratty's realization of he can't change his name as long as he's dating this girl, I think is yes. cool, and that's how he, mm-hmm. they find him. The FBI finds them or CIA or whoever. I think it's mm-hmm. FBI mm-hmm. in this case. FBI. Yeah. Um, so I, lo- I like that too. What did you guys think of uh, the Hanratty chasing him, the c- caper aspect of this? And Because you're kind of rooting for the government because this guy's breaking the law, but you're also rooting for the guy that's breaking the law. It's like, how can you root for Tom Hanks and uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio at the same time, right? Because mm-hmm. they, ma- they cast such perfectly likable people in both of those roles. So no one's going to win at the end of the day. And the only thing the audience has in mind that's going to win is if they end up like it happens, like they end up, nobody wins and, but they end up like mentoring each other and you know, that whole kind of epilogue of the movie after he gets caught and works for the FBI and leaves and comes back and all that, um, always happens. But I, I just love that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the chemistry between the two is, uh, is great too between Hanks and, and uh yeah DiCaprio. yeah and and you kind of i feel like the movie i feel like spielberg and and everybody involved kind of that's what they're going for they want both right they want both of those parties to be uh not sympathy you want to be rooting for both of them and that's perfect like it works out perfectly because that's how the story sort of ends you do kind of get both of them like you can you can feel like both of them kind of won like um, you know, Hanratty got his guy and he was, you know, uh, I'm, you know, his career is boosted because of that and blah, 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 blah. And, and, but also Frank got to have a pretty banging time for a few years and then ultimately make something out of himself. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. It's crazy to think that this guy in real life, all of this stuff happened between the ages of 15 and 21. Mm-hmm. So like, that's insane to, to accomplish quote unquote, what he did and pull off the stuff that he did at his age is, uh, is remarkable. And then you just get like, 
okay, but and now you can lead a full normal life. And it's just it's such a such a cool I don't know. Like it's easy to root for outlaws, quote unquote, that are like this guy, right? Like that are that have the um a sort of uh I don't know, a suave characteristic to them. But but I'm with you. Like I love I love Hanks's portrayal of of Hanratty and it's so much fun to watch them sort of uh play the cat and mouse game with each other. It's and it's, that it's kind a blast. Of that super square J. Edgar Hoover era G Man FBI yeah. agent of that of that kind of height of that agency and the sort of rigid bureaucracy of investigation that Abagnale so exploits. It's a really mm-hmm. well written, smart comment. I don't mean to get like too highfalutin on here, but it's like a really smart that's the thing, right? Is he's too efficient and smart for them because they've kind of A, uh they're not aware for a while that this type of uh you know bank fraud is even possible because that that part of the FBI is so like uh, underfunded and they that's uh-huh. when they send people as punishment because it's boring. And then B when they do kind of get onto him, they're just completely ill equipped to track him because their apparatus right. is too big. And that's just such an interesting cool thing that the, he's because he's so rogue they can't catch him and he and he's a kid and then that's the other thing too is they can't catch him because he doesn't have any records because he's a kid and so um and then when the, when Hanratty figures it out that he's mm-hmm. oh no this we're getting conned by a kid here and that's why you know it's just oh it's just such it's it's incredible it's spielberg's you know masterful but th- this script is so 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 mm-hmm. good yeah yeah, it's really tight. You know, I, I in the research, I, I saw that originally he had kind of just wanted to uh, produce it, that mm-hmm. the original cast, it was originally going to be Gore Verbinski directing, um, but uh, DiCaprio got delayed with Gangs of New York, and so mm-hmm. Verbinski left. And they also lost James Gandolfini. He was supposed to play Hanratty, and he moved on to do oh, something okay. else. So that I went, thought it was, was going to be David Fincher. Yeah, Fincher was like after Verbinski left, it was Fincher and Cam Crow and somebody else. I can't remember exact, but that they went through three or four directors of like, hey, would you do this? And they none of them could make it work. And eventually Spielberg, like you said, can't did that. The table read and was like, okay, I, I see it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this one. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of that, though, honestly, I mean, Spielberg's great. This is the best possible scenario is Hanks, DiCaprio, Spielberg, right? But like... Mm-hmm. Early two thousands, Gore Verbinski's not bad, and Fincher's not bad, and Gandolfini's good. Like I feel like all of those sure. incarnations are still really good movies, but we got the best one, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Agree. Wow! Imagine what could have been. Yeah, the David Fincher starring James Gandolfini version of this would have been <laughs> would have yeah. been definitely a different yeah. take on it. And for sure. And Johnny Depp was the first choice for uh, I can for see that. Frank. So it goes yeah. all kinds. It goes all over yeah, the place. Yeah, that era, Johnny Depp could maybe pull it off. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think it works for. It's what hard they... to believe a pilot would have white face paint on. Though. Like, how do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how would you? How would you disguise? <laughs> paints. He paints wings on his cheek. I'm a yeah. pilot. Yeah. Pan Go to the cockpit yeah. because I'm a pilot. A, it's like, sir, why are you wearing a scarf? <laughs> That's not part of the uniform. Dead giveaway. Is that a raven on your shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> why do you yeah, smell so bad, sh- sir? Have you showered? <laughs> <laughs> Normally, our Pan Am pilots don't have 39 gold teeth, but all right, come on back. <laughs> you got the jump seat. It's so funny um, in the actual movie when when um, uh, Frank Abagnale DiCaprio loses his uniform and he's super worried about it. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, just come on down. We'll give you a new one. And he's like, 
oh, okay. And they're like, uh, <laughs> he's like, can I write you a check for this? Like, no, we'll take it out of your check. It's like, oh, okay. Like it's even easier than he had anticipated in his yes. mind sometimes, you know, how dumb people can be or how, how well they fell into his plan. Uh, I like that too. Um, but in juxtaposition to that is the moment where he is asked by uh, Martin Sheen, I guess it is, when he realizes that he's Frank oh, he's Abagnale. Great in this too, he's, yeah. yeah, where he's he realizes he's Frank Abagnale and not uh, the uh, person that her his daughter was going to marry, or or who he thought he, she was going to she was going to marry. Yes, um, how did you pass the bar exam? He says, I, I. I didn't cheat the bar exam. I stayed up all night and I studied like, right. Yeah. Like there's, there's study for two weeks. E- and I even if you're the smartest guy, there's still stuff that you can't fake. Yeah. And uh, I like that too. Yeah. In real life on that, the, at least the claim is, um, that at the time, Louisiana had no, there was no uh, limit on the number of times that you could take the bar. And so he took it twice and basically just, kind of a limit by process of elimination figured out what was the wrong failed it twice and then studied and the third time passed mm-hmm. it basically just using process of elimination and, which is and, fascinating and the florida and louisiana bar it's just all it's mostly gator questions yeah it's, it's mostly yeah. gator law yeah <laughs> that's what they call it actually is gator law so it's yeah. just like what to do with different gators <laughs> there's only like 11 different circumstances so it's not a yeah. really hard test Yes. But, you, I mean, there's a part on raccoons as well, but mostly <laughs> it's the gator stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Florida and Louisiana. I'm not. <laughs> it's an extremely colorful movie, too, in yes. terms of the costume design and just the set decoration and everything. It's one of the, one of the funnest movies of his to look at in mm-hmm. terms of just like eye candy. And I don't it's have this beautiful. on Blu-ray, but I need to get it on Blu-ray because I'm mm-hmm. sure it looks, I'm sure it looks fantastic and the, yeah. the high quality and everything. Um, so the question is, rounding, rounding about our time here to discuss this, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, when we talk the post and everything. We, we love talking about Catch Me If You Can. Um, the question is, is how well does this hold up 15 years later? And my answer to that is I think this holds up as well as it could possibly hold up. I think uh, with context of where DiCaprio is now, where Spielberg is now, where Christopher Walken is now, and and all that we know about um, the government and, and uh, you know all the things that have come to light over the past few years in terms of uh, the NSA and things like that, I think this mo- movie holds much more relevance now than even then, and it, it it's endlessly, endlessly fascinating to uh, go back and watch this and and thoroughly entertaining every time. So I think it holds up great. What about what about you guys? What do you guys think? 10, yeah, 10 it, on the hold up. Yeah, yeah, same. I mean, it's it's better to me. Like I said at the outset, it is significantly better now than it was 15 years ago. Uh, it, and and I feel like it will con- for, ha- somehow because it's like a hundred out of a hundred to me. But somehow it will continue yeah. to get better every time I watch it's, it. It's it's the movie like it was like the first adult movie. I was like, oh, I'm an adult. Sure. Now. I like this. I love this. That's mm-hmm. why it was my favorite. I was like, oh, I this opens up a whole. I don't mm-hmm. have to just watch stupid Adam Sandler movies and stuff, you know. Right. And for uh, me, it was the hours. But yeah, I get it. <laughs> the hours. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> the Cole Gibbon. Um, yeah, use like that nose, that <laughs> prosthetic nose. You've got to think for him. That's why Ocean's Thirteen is my favorite of the Ocean's movies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Linus Caldwell is what was that character's name? He had that fake name. Ah, uh, I can't remember. I'll look yeah. it up. 
I wonder why. Yeah, I, I think it holds up incredibly well, Kent, to get back on track. Yeah. I wonder what um, Steven Spielberg would, where he would rank this. They, somebody needs mm. to, New York Times or something needs to do a piece where Spielberg ranks his own movies on favorite to least favorite. I wonder where he would rank this in terms of favorite movies. I think it would be pretty near the top. I think it would be higher than people would think it would be. Mm. Yeah, that'd be Let, interesting. Lenny Pepperidge. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that, that would be extremely interesting to, to hear him rank out his favorite, his, his own movies. Um, I, I know he has a great affinity for Close Encounters and E.T., but I wonder where, uh, like this movie and, and some of the others fall. That'd be, that'd be very interesting. So I'm on the Los Angeles Times' list, and on their list, Catch Me If You Can ranks at number 11. Slightly ahead of Minority Report and Bridge of Spies, and behind okay. uh, The Last Crusade, Lincoln, War of the Gosh. Worlds. No. Um, and then the big ones, Close Encounters, Schindler's List, uh, E.T., those. So, yeah, they. I would not say The War of the Worlds is better than Catch Me If no. You Can. Uh, so, yeah, that's where that's where they fall, fell on that. But I'd be interested to hear Stephen's mm-hmm. take. I bet it would be top five for him, just in terms of... Uh, the experience of making it and, and and the relevance that it it still holds and the timeless quality of it. I think uh, a lot of his movies don't have that, um, especially post two thousand. So, yeah, big 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 fan of this one. Big fan of big fan of Spielberg. But man, this is the mm-hmm. this is in my top five Spielberg movies for sure. Where where what about you guys? Is this your number one, Richard? Yeah, Spielberg yeah, it's, movie. It's number one, uh, big time. Mm-hmm. Number two. Oh man, that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, it's probably Jurassic Park. Yeah, probably Jurassic Park is number two for me. Then, uh, then Indy or something. Um, but it's I tough. This. Yeah, I will. Re- I like the Terminal too. I'm weird. Yeah. I like Terminal's these kind fine. of. I like yeah. these like. Uh, it's not in my top five Spielberg movies, but I just like when he does this. And uh, I th- I'm hoping I haven't seen the post yet. I'm going to see it probably Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um. So maybe see it Thursday, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, this is my favorite thing, and I just, it's such a, um, you know, it's like the Deion Sanders thing. It's like uh, he can go and be uh, the best cornerback in the history of the league, and then oh, by the way, he played baseball for ten years. Like he has this whole extra <laughs> other. Like if he only made these movies, he would still be one of the great American directors, even if he didn't mm-hmm. have the blockbuster mm-hmm. stuff. Like you could take all that away, which is pretty crazy but it's like two two simultaneous careers which is which is nuts how cool is how cool is it of to him to have i mean he talks about after he made jaws like that gave him the the freedom to do literally whatever he wants to do for the rest of his career i mean he has the ability to pick and choose what he does and he can this was just one of the things that struck his interest i just i really like that he he doesn't do everything or stuff that like, Oh, this has you written all over it, Steven. Um, he really does only do the stuff that he likes and is passionate about. And he's, he's stuck to that, uh, since day one. I really like that about him. So mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to talk to post. We'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but this might be we the last to. Spielberg throwback. We talk, um, of 2018. Maybe we'll pull one in. We, we probably won't have one on the main feed. I don't think, yeah. but we will definitely on the VIP feed probably have maybe one more Spielberg movie yeah. to, to, to discuss. Uh, in 2018, if you like this conversation, you like our throwback conversations about movies that came out not this past weekend, like our other episodes, uh, subscribe to the VIP feed. Again, madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. 
costs $1 a week to get access to a ton of bonus episodes. That's multiple, multiple bonus episodes per month, one a week on average, and uh, fun, awesome more stuff too, including American Treasure nominees, uh, input on the show, uh, live AMAs and Q&As with us that we do almost weekly, and it's it's a really fun time over there in the VIP, and we got more stuff coming, so... Yeah, and we've got, if you haven't joined yet and you're kind of on the fence, we are celebrating five years coming up as a podcast here in a few weeks. So we're going to have lots of stuff. We'll do some stuff for the you, uh, the MAM fam as well. But for the Vippers, uh, we've got uh, some really cool stuff planned uh, to celebrate five years with you guys. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Join now. Be one of the OG VIPs. That's the goal. Okay. Thanks for joining us again. Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at BGill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter, which you should should subscribe to uh, before our February issue drops. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on uh, social media at Richard Barden. Yeah, you can find me on the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter, which, uh, we, like Brian said, we don't have an episode, or we don't have an issue, rather, this, uh, this month, but we do have some fun stuff for the Oscars planned in February on the newsletter and on the podcast and on the VIP feed alike. Kent, where can I find you, my friend? Find me online, Kent Garrison on Twitter, Instagram, and Snap. And uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at Mad About Movies. We enjoy that a lot. And uh, appreciate all the support headed into this new year. But until next time, we'll see you in the VIP at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya. Your salads and scrambled eggs.